0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Or welcome to the podcast if this is your first time tuning in. Hello. Thank you for giving this a go. I have a really cool episode for you today. I've been wanting this to happen for quite a while. So it was really great to finally catch up with Aaron Marshall from Intervals. This was a really, really great chat. I think you're going to really enjoy it. He was very generous with his time and I just had a blast doing it. So I have one update for Apple Podcast users real quick, and then we will get into the meat and potatoes of the show. It's not going to change anything for you unless you want it to, so don't stress about it. It's not a big deal. You'll still get the show in the podcast app, as you always have. The reason I wanted to address it here is because still to this day, most people listen through an Apple Podcast Device. So, whether that's their watch, whether they do it on their phone or whatever, most of the downloads of this podcast come through Apple. And I wanted to talk about something that they're rolling out that I'm going to give a go to hopefully make it easier for you to support the show if you want, and easier for me to get extra content to people that want it. So, basically, it's a kind of another version of Patreon. It's not going to change anything if you're already a Patreon subscriber. And you're already supporting over there, no sweat. Nothing's changing for you. And nothing will change for any of the patrons who choose to subscribe going forward. So basically, I understand that it's kind of a pain to create a new account, you know, with Patreon. Login. If you've never done Patreon before, it's a whole nother thing you gotta sign up for. It's not that bad, but I understand it's kind of a hassle. Well, now Apple has an option for you to be able to subscribe right in. The podcast app. So you're already used to it. It's already there. Your account information's already hooked in there and you can subscribe. And I should clarify what that means because they changed the verbiage here last year sometime and that might be a little bit confusing. So you used to subscribe to a podcast through Apple back in the day. That's what you did for years and years and years. If you wanted to get all the episodes, you would subscribe and they would automatically download. Last year sometime, I believe, they changed that to follow for some reason. So they changed it to follow, probably with this in mind, although to me that makes it confusing. We probably could have came up with something else. Whatever. Follow is what subscribe used to be. So it's what you're doing right now, most likely, if you're hearing this podcast. And subscribe is something else, and I'm going to explain that. So basically, when you subscribe to a show, not follow, subscribe to a show through Apple Podcasts, you are going to be supporting that show in a very direct way that goes right to the podcaster. There's a small fee that Apple charges, and then you can get access to whatever extra content that show is producing. So I'm in the process of setting this up. It should be live and up as soon as this podcast publishes. If it's not, it will be shortly, and you'll see the option in your app to be able to Subscribe, And that'll be really similar to supporting on Patreon. Basically, you pay a little bit of money every month, and you get extra bonus content uh, delivered right to you. And I'm even considering doing some ad-free uh, versions of the main podcast, both in Patreon and over on the Apple Premium subscription. So if that sounds like something you would like to do, just keep your eyes peeled in the app, and I'm going to try to keep the pricing The same, like I said, I'm still setting this all up, so this is just an additional thing to try to make it easier for folks who'd like to support if they're able to. So that's all. Keep your eyes peeled in your Apple Podcasts app. You'll see an update at some point that will allow you to subscribe and check out the different levels and options there. So that's it. That's enough blabbering. That's so much blabbering for an intro. Here we go. Let's get into this podcast with Aaron Marshall. hello everyone welcome to another episode of the tone mob podcast the show about guitar stuff occasionally sometimes i'm your host blake wyland with me today i have somebody i've been wanting to talk to for quite some time aaron marshall otherwise known as intervals what's up go dude dude i said guys but there's only <laughs> how are you only two guys
0: here here we are <laughs> it's just us i think for now I, it could change at any moment we, Who knows? Know. I, I, I set my phone to do not disturb, so it hopefully doesn't change on my end. That
1: is, I live my life in do not disturb. Otherwise, I would never get any sleep. So, <laughs> you know, so it nice. goes. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Well, I'll tell you why, partially, because I spent my morning walking around at the park listening to your, your shreddery. So, you know, oh. I was already familiar, but I was like, I got to get extra familiar, you know, before we do this thing and make sure I. Nice. Make sure i'm on top of it a little bit looks like you or sounds like uh according to what we were talking about off the air you were doing some studying too so
0: (laughs) a little bit yeah i spent this morning uh brushing up on on your stuff and just getting my head in the game for a podcast Mm -hmm. i did um we did a round of these for like a pr campaign when the record came out last year right and then uh, i had like a few more lingering at the beginning of the year and then i just kind of like gave that a rest for a while we did the circuit so totally we're we're back now let's do a podcast here we go (laughs) more casts more blabbering on the internet that's just what everybody wants no I'm I'm down this one's got a good spin too because like most podcasts will get nerdy but sometimes they're not always like geared specifically towards that but you have a pretty particular angle I think so I like that yeah yeah the angle of we're gonna
1: talk about pedals and aliens you know and who (laughs) who knows what else whatever else comes up I have some stuff I really want to get oh, in. It's,
0: anything's free game. Fair That's
1: right. Game. I, I have some stuff I want to talk to you about in particular because I've used you as an example of somebody who's really embracing, maybe not embracing, but you recognizing where the music industry is these days and just making it work for you. And I uh-huh. uh, really respect that a lot. But before we like dive deep into that side of things, like let's tell the audience about yourself a little bit and uh like familiarize people who aren't familiar.
0: Cool. Um all right, all right. my name's Aaron and um I'm a guitar player and and scene. Now, um <laughs> I'm uh I'm a guitarist, composer, multi-instrumentalist, music guy from Toronto, Ontario, Canada and I've been playing guitar since fifth grade sixth grade something wow. like that um yeah for, for the, ma- the majority of my life at this point um more than half i think now for sure and um yeah so i was always into music i'm an only child my parents have an exceptional taste in music but neither of them are musicians my dad's brother plays some guitar so there was like a little around but like I was never that exposed to it until uh the tail end of yeah about elementary school like fifth fifth sixth grade kind of thing um I started to uh develop like a an interest for for wanting to maybe pursue playing guitar to be honest my my initial inclination was I wanted to play drums (laughs) um sounds familiar which I I (laughs) oh cool cool Yeah, yeah yeah so i'm obsessed with drums and i love drums and it's still a huge part of like what i do and and, and a major interest of mine but um i think like living in a you know in a two-story house in like suburban you know toronto like with neighbors around and not like the biggest place to make a ton of racket i don't know that my parents wanted to get right in with a drum kit in the house so Mm -hmm. i was like well, we could start with you know with an, an acoustic guitar or something see if you take to it um and uh i actually was a slightly uh it was a slow start i i I, for some reason i I wasn't really that into it and um there was kind of like a turning point where i'd come home from school one day and my dad had the guitar in his lap and he had like a mel bay book out on the table and he was like plinking away on like ode to joy or green sleeves or something like that one of those little two-string etudes you learn when you're just starting right and i was like kind of frustrated that he had figured something out before me, and like, this is supposed to be my thing, but I was so mm. small, I could barely get my arm over the guitar. It was like a tagamine acoustic, and it was huge, and I was, you know, it wasn't very big, so it was like, it's kind of awkward to spend time with, but um, once I sort of figured out how to connect what was on the page and producing sound with my hands, I'm the type of individual that as soon as I see results when I'm doing anything, I become addicted to it, so that's how it started and i I just wanted to like continue getting better and um i guess a light switch turned on in my brain to where i was like nice yeah i'm gonna figure this out and um i was always into music and my parents always had a really great taste in music and it just started to develop from there and i spent all of my time playing guitar and like learning stuff, and I had some formative teachers in my early years that um, I was very uh, lucky to start learning under the wing of individuals that weren't so concerned with, like, only teaching conservatory or by the book, but more so, like, you know, let the kid, like, learn songs. Like, if he wants to slam power chords, like, let him choose songs he wants to learn, I'll show him how to play. So it was, like, a lot of, like, Blink-182, Green Day, you know, stuff like that from the Mm -hmm. early days, Nirvana, stuff like that um and i was just learning fast and absorbing a lot of information and started jamming with some friends and making my own stuff a little bit here and there and um not so concerned with theory or anything just developing a feel for playing like rock music and pop punk and things of that nature and then uh, right around early high school i would have kind of transitioned from like being really into like punk and, like, the warp Tour days to, like, maybe discovering some metal stuff. I remember I was an avid, avid reader of Guitar World magazine, and I remember seeing, like, Avenged Sevenfold and you in the, like, little tiny column of, like, mm-hmm. who, who to watch for, like, who to check out, like, before they were, like, anyone. And um, that was crazy to me. Um, you know, Second Heartbeat was so fresh, and it was, like, I think it was um it was like pre right side of the bed a trip oh really it was oh, like so this that is, type of stuff it was like way early this is like suicide stuff, notes yeah. and butterfly and, kisses type of thing right yes mm-hmm. it was like their first first or second record yeah wow and um yeah that's when I started to like discover metal and I was already kind of like finding bands that were blurring the lines um you know, I, I was into a lot of uh, a lot of punk and a lot of pop punk too, and I still love all that stuff. But I was starting to find all the Fat Records bands and like Strung Out and Lagwagon and No Use for a Name and Alkaline Trio and yeah. like stuff like that. And I was I was um, really just de- developing a sort of a taste for for music that like moved fast and had that like punk edge, but was like kind of technical. And this was like before discovering like, protest the hero and bands that, like, ultimately would, like, seal that all in for me and make it all make sense. Like, oh, you can do all the things at the same time kind of thing. Um, So... Yeah, that was, it's, you know, I'm, I'm I'm skipping over some things, but that's basically the the trajectory from like starting to play like some rudimentary guitar stuff to finding like pop punk and what's popular at the time for like a kid who liked rock music and punk like radio stuff at the time to then discovering metal and then discovering like how the lines blur and finding, you know, but I mean, I mentioned protests because protests here are like local to me and you know at this They're point we toured together yeah. and we're you know we're we're friends and yeah and Luke owns sheet happens publishing which is a company that does all of our tablature and vinyl and stuff like that so we 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 work together um i i helped produce guitars on their volition record we toured europe europe together in 2014 and north america in 2014 like i think we spent 10 weeks on tour that year together so you know but if you told me that then i would have fucking lost my mind <laughs> Pardon my language but yeah so Um, that's pretty much, you know, like meeting those guys and, and seeing like, oh, these guys are into like propaganda and, you know, and, and all the fat record stuff that I was into, like had this mutual love for strung out. Like not a lot of people knew about that band, California punk rock band. Maybe some of your listeners don't know about strung out either, but like, that's where I started to, uh, okay. Yeah. Like I kind of like the stuff you guys like, but you're doing this different thing. And I remember we, my old local band had played a show and it was like around halloween and there was a party down the street uh where some of the protest guys uh were at doing like a i don't know just hanging at like this halloween party none of us were of age to get into a bar but they uh <laughs> came it out. out and, and <laughs> snuck us in past the security yeah yeah and then i remember like like later on that night like we, we had uh connected with these guys a friend of a friend knew some some of their guys and you know it was such a big deal to me that, that I had never met any of them and they're like larger than life in my in my in my eyes at the time and I remember being in an alleyway outside like you know having a smoke or something talking to Arif and he was telling me that they just got back from a UK tour and they found this band called sixth And it's like, oh, you got to check this band out. And, you know, we've never seen anything like it. It's like all the crazy stuff that we're into, but they also have this wild metal shit going on, downtuned guitars and crazy stuff and equipment I've never heard of, like all the black machine guitars. And these are the early days of the Axe effects and all this. I I just, my mind is exploding at the time. And that's how I, I kind of like, you know, found my way into the early days of like the progressive stuff. And this was before... I had discovered like what Misha was doing on SoundClick, uploading all those early bulb demos and everything, and then ultimately friends of mine in Toronto um, in a band called Structures, uh, who is local to me here, and like my old local band used to play with their band before they were called Structures and stuff. Um, Andrew, their drummer, uh, had uh, somehow connected with Matt Halpern, and uh, this was like the early days of Peripheries, like 2009 or something. They came to Toronto on the Thrash and Burn tour just like a big, one of those big like all day packaged metal things. It was like After the Burial and Despised Icon and all these bands are on it. And um, Andrew had booked a, like a, a lesson at the venue with Matt. And these are one of the, this is the first time I had ever heard of touring bands um, teaching on tour. They were one of the first like groups of guys I knew that were like supplementing their tour stuff with like teaching and doing these like hangs with with people on the ground at every show and I uh booked a session with Misha as well because I was going down there with with Andrew and it was like you know I might as well bring a guitar and you know hang out in the basement of the opera house with Misha for an hour and stuff and like that's how some of my friends here and myself initially had connected with the periphery guys and then from there, I stayed in touch with Matt, and Matt introduced me to my first drummer, that ultimately became you know the first drummer in Intervals when I started doing the project, and you know it just kind of grew from there. But really, it was uh, it went from just being a kid with a guitar to being a kid that who plays in a couple local bands to like you know via a couple degrees of separation, meeting some of the people that are you know my peers and who I you know tour with and you know know on a personal level now. But back then, it was just. We were just trying to meet people and figure it out and stuff. And Toronto's interesting because it's like, there's a really big music community here. Right. Um, but it's hard to get going. Um, the local scene sort of died when some of the pivotal, like, venues from the early days had closed. And unless you were a band who was opening for big tours that were coming through, you didn't really have a lot of opportunity. So it was all about, like, not being a punisher, or, like, overbearing, but, like, networking and meeting people and getting to a, a a place where like maybe you make music that's legit enough and your like live shows good enough that you could maybe open for one of these bands which is what led to intervals opening for periphery the contortionist textures and the human abstract on the frack the gods tour in 2010 or 2011 which was the very first interval show ever and i have wow. not literally have not stopped since so that's uh... that's like the cold notes
1: yeah <laughs> that's you and i have a similar sort of history with music and the things we were into and the things we were like really focusing in uh, on at the time uh the mm. difference is you heard all this stuff and was like oh yeah i think i'm going to try to do some of this and i heard all of it and was like <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm not going to ever be able to do that so i guess i'll just uh, uh. go be a mechanic um and then fast forward all these years later so basically 2010, I just kind of had this memory yesterday, actually. I got into podcasts for, from, I don't remember exactly how. It might have been like when Corolla got kicked off the air and went podcasting or something like that. And I found my old iPod yesterday. And I was like, whoa, I wonder what I was listening to back in the day. And I, I was able to get it charged oh, wow. up. And I found like it was some local radio DJs that had podcasts and, and things. And then fast forward to 2015, I started doing this. And then a few years later, getting connected with bands that I used or that I that I love, like bands that I never thought I would get to talk to, getting to go hang out, and I'm like, mm-hmm. this is the weirdest, like, most convoluted way to get into the music business possible. But it's
0: kind of kind of you cool. just got to stick it out. I mean, I feel I Finn McKenty posted something. Um, maybe people know who Finn is from the punk rock NBA. He posted yeah. something. I think yesterday or this morning that I saw to the effect of like spend a few years doing the stuff that no one else would dedicate themselves to and and surprise yourself at what you could actually accomplish, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that's really what it is, is like if you don't stop doing it um, and you just have that sort of blind optimism about like, you know, I'm just not going to stop doing it until I get something done, uh, Mm -hmm. then this is how you, you know, this is how you kind of wind up here and i often do say that about you know um th- just how intervals was able to like you know s- stake our claim really and become like a relatively household name in the you know proggy instrumental like you know the d word kind of realm the sort of gent sphere <laughs> early on it's it's before so it had a name then, of course yeah. but yeah like it was just about you know getting getting in on the ground early um you know the first two EPs were um sort of like the the benchmark at the time I mean there wasn't a lot of stuff happening like um 2011 2012 on Bandcamp and like legitimate releases that were sort of in that sphere when you like rewind all the way back there there was only a handful of stuff going on it was like what Misha was doing in the early days of Periphery and you have what Ackle was doing with Tesseract and you have what John Brown was doing with Monuments and you have like what Paul Ortiz is doing with you know Chimp Spanner when he decides to pop up and drop music which actually he did recently which is phenomenal and that brought me way back because you know the chimps early Chimp Spanner stuff was something that was like really important to me too and you know, I had no idea what I was doing. I just I got a my first MacBook and a pod, like the Red Bean. Yeah, and I just was like, I'm gonna like make some stuff. I got a cracked version of some drum software and Logic, and I was like, I want to make some stuff. So that's where it started. And um, I I personally think that because there is so much music um, in in that online guitar community now, that it's like people ask me like, how did you get to where you are, like there's so much music out here. How did you get here? And I think it was because I prioritized early on that I wanted to be a live band, and that's mm-hmm. another thing. It's like a lot of guys are like, you know, I, I I say this all the time too. Put your energy into the internet. Yeah, grow your, you know, your audience on the internet. It's not about releasing your debut album to no one. You need to like have a marketing plan, and you need to like do all these things. It was never my plan to like grow in Toronto to like burst the bubble and spill out the sides into everywhere else no that's the more traditional like it was about route, right? growing you, you conquer the yeah, local that's scene tr- yeah you have to have both you got to like kill it at home but you also need to be able to like go somewhere else and like have fans you know so um I put my energy into that but we started out grassroots we started out by playing the southern Ontario circuit and playing like B and C markets and like You know vfw halls and like any shows that we could and like we put our own tours together and like i did some crazy stuff to get on some of my first ventures like we we confirmed a tour supporting the contortionist i didn't have i didn't have like like an official live band and crew or anything to even pull it off in fact we didn't have a van i i confirmed a tour with no van and trailer I, like, I had an opportunity, basically, like, the long and short is we were supposed to do one show, um, in Toronto to release our In Time EP, and it was with, uh, Veil of Maya, The Contortionist, and a band called Your Memorial, um, from Twin Cities, um, they're, uh, they're, they're no longer, well, they pop up every once in a while. We're still good friends and something. They'll, they'll do shows every once in a while, but they, they aren't, they're in a band anymore. Um, but anyway, what happened was Vale Maya was supposed to do this run around Southern Ontario. Intervals was just going to be the opener. We were just going to drop our, it was going to be like the second ever, third ever Interval show. Drop the end time EP at a local show opening, right? And, uh, I got word that it was canceled because Vale Maya, um, took an opportunity to go to last minute with, um, The Devil Wears Prada in Europe, so they canned their Southern Ontario and Quebec shows. So I lost my, um, I lost my, like, release show. Ouch. So my manager at the time, um, Brett Powell, um, drummer from The Human Abstract, um, who I, we just started working with, who we met at our first show when we opened for The Human Abstract. lot of a lot of details Mm -hmm. here um we were planning to you just just have this release show and i was pretty like heartbroken that i wasn't going to get the opportunity to do it so i hypothesized that southern ontario promoters and quebec promoters probably don't want to lose these shows what are the chances that the contortionist bump up to headliner and actually just assume uh, you know the headline status of all these shows so the promoters don't have to cancel everything like are they still going to come through brett knows their agent reaches out and then he hits me back and he's like actually that's exactly what's going on and they could use another they could use an opener on everything so can we do it and I was like yeah we can do that sure (laughs) not a problem and I had no I had there was it was impossible to do um especially considering you know the original drummer uh that I was playing with at the time a new was 10 hours for me in Frederick Maryland and I'm in Toronto so not only do we have a lot of uh highway between us also an international border, so... Right. Um, You know, and we had done the first show in Toronto, and Noop drove up here. We barely practiced for 90 minutes and then did the show uh, the first time, but, like, to be able to do, like, 10 shows? Not really possible, so um then things once we confirmed and everything and i got a buddy to like take work off and rent a van because i wasn't old enough at the time we had no vehicle no trailer like nothing and then a noob told me that he actually had an opportunity to go to europe to play drums with jeff loomis oh geez. i lost my drummer oh no i lost but- my drummer so this is where nathan stepped in and nathan is actually the current live drummer for intervals and he's been on the last two records and he's been playing live drums consistently since 2016 with intervals but this is how i met nathan a lot of people always ask how did you meet that guy like because you know they always associate like the early days of intervals with with a noob and this is actually how i met nathan was he saved my at a very pivotal time for intervals because that tour where we jumped in i sort of bluffed that we could do it and we did those shows was actually where our first legitimate booking agent came to see us at the toronto show and offered us across canada coast to coast it was intervals north lane texas and july and structures and we did coast to coast from halifax to vancouver on that run and that was the thing that also hooked us up with a us agent and everything and literally my whole career started there and if i had just like admitted defeat like oh we don't have a van can't do it or oh a noob's busy can't do it if we didn't do any of those things i would not be here now so that's like some of those are some of the early moves that we made where i was constantly like Punching above my weight and agreeing to things that I were certainly not possible. I did some crazy <laughs> stuff to make that happen. So, yeah. I mean, apparently it is possible though, because you did do it. It's possible. You know? <laughs> it's possible. It, you did. Do yeah. It. It. It's just when I look back on it, it stresses me out to think that I just was like saying yes to things that now would like make my head spin. Um, but different different vantage point at this. I, I worry about other things now. So, <laughs> of course, of course.
1: Now, it's uh, something that my friend Dewey, who does the Peer Pleasure podcast, he's said a lot. Um, he did this crazy show with Fat Mike uh, where oh, he ended cool. up like flying down there and hanging out with Mike in his pool while they were recording this podcast. And it's just this insane story. So but his thing is like, yeah. say yes to everything. Just say yes and then yeah, figure out how to make yes it to happen. Everything. Obviously, there's times where things are just straight up literally impossible like, you know, I'm in Africa. Yeah. I can't get to Toronto tomorrow at 9 a.m. It's just not physically possible. But there are things that are exactly. just hard. You know, there are things that are just really hard to do that you... But there's a solution might... somewhere in there. You just have there, to... Yeah. And you, and the solution might yeah. not be a good one, <laughs> you know, but you can do really insane things. I mean, I I've had to do some really really crazy stuff to get this thing off the ground and sometimes it's just saying yes to Mm -hmm. things you don't even know what you're necessarily saying yes to you got to just put yourself in a position to see what happens and I think that's really really hard to do and it's also really hard Mm -hmm. to do when you don't even know exactly what the opportunity you're looking for is like you said you you met your booking agent at that show you didn't know that was going to happen you just knew that you needed to play these shows and get in front of people. You didn't know Absolutely. that was going to be this turn. And I just thing. knew
0: that it was. I just knew it was an opportunity, and 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 at that pivotal moment in a in an artist's career, any artist's career, early on, mm-hmm. you, like these things don't just rain from the sky on you. So, you know, and you you would never want to look back on something and be like, "What if I took that? Like, was that the shot I I needed or something like that?" You know. So you have to kind of just. Yeah, blindly say yes to everything. These days, we say we say more no than yes now. But like, we're we're certainly in a different position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're in a different position now to where like we we heavily curate things. In fact, we could have easily run the risk of being on tour when the shit hit the fan at the top of twenty twenty. because we had such a long album cycle that was just going i mean the way forward had come out in december 2017 and i played my last show of that album cycle at the house of blues anaheim with um, between the married me and chan on you know mere days before christmas 2019 so it was like a two-year album cycle and we had actually been we had actually been supporting the record even earlier than that we started playing songs And uh, promoting The Way Forward, like, summer of 2017. And we toured all the way up until just before the pandemic off that record. We had opportunities that we were, like, heavily tempted to say yes to at the top of 2020. And we were like, no, we got to shut it down. We got to take a break. Crew needs a break. I need a break. We should make a record. I'm going to make a record. So I went home, and then this is when everything happened. Um, My latest effort was, was written in the first year of of the pandemic um i started making music for the album like started writing in february march so right Mm -hmm. around the time that it started and the album had come out november of the same year in 2020 so we had just gone you know from zero to to 100 with the album and you know under the the confines of, of the pandemic um and i'm really happy we released that and didn't you know wait i know a lot of artists have been waiting to release music and it's it's uh it's i don't know that i don't know that it's worth waiting to do anything right now um you know we're actually looking at pushing the boat back out in november which is crazy where we just announced a, a tour about a week and a half ago or two weeks ago or whatever so we're promoting a, a full u.s headliner right now it doesn't feel real um right but we're we're headed in that direction so there's another example of like, sometimes you do have to say yes and try some stuff. Although we said no three times before we publicly said yes to, <laughs> to this one. You know, like we, we've we had this on the calendar for a while. We've been very cautious. So. You,
1: know. so you, this is a big part. We might as well get into this now. This is a big part of what I wanted to talk to you about. Because I listened to you on Finn's show, Punk Rock NBA, like we mentioned earlier. Sweet. And I was just going, man, this guy, this guy gets it. You know, he's you really were set up in a weird way like to succeed under these conditions in ways that a lot of other people weren't prepared for prepared for and I feel like that is mm-hmm. partially because you not entirely like you mentioned but you were at least partially birthed on the internet as far as people are aware you know in a in a for as sure. far as like your international audience is concerned and do you yeah. think that is something that more people, I mean, obviously people realize the internet's a thing these days, but I think oh, too yeah. many people still focus on like doing the old school burst out of the local scene thing, which can work, but there's no reason you can't do that and the other thing. So what would you say to somebody trying to get off the ground or even maybe somebody more seasoned that let you guys thrive during this time versus somebody more dependent on live stuff?
0: Hmm. Well, we were sort of having internal discussions about this early on about whether or not this would be a beneficial thing for us at all. Um, You know, I think it was too soon to say for everybody, like when when it initially had happened, whether or not, you know, like, is media consumption going to go up or, you know, are certain facets of the business going to benefit from from all this time at home? um are people going to sort of opt out of caring for these extracurricular things that we love so much like live music and or just the passion about music in general like you know music is an integral part of people's lives um and I didn't think that it's like oh you know everyone's just gonna like forget about art uh which actually t- typically does in times of adversity become you know something that really helps people is like a sort of therapeutic or cathartic thing. So um just we just weren't sure. So, you know, maybe a a quarter or two into the year and we could see the back end of things like streaming and, you know, um tab book consumption and like vinyl consumption and like these types of things were up, 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 up. And I just mm-hmm. didn't ever have to post about like, you know, I wasn't being like the salesman online, like, you know, oh the world's going to to hell in a handbasket buy all of our stuff because we don't know what's going on like I didn't do it I I I didn't in fact I just kind of stayed quiet um and just kept my head down and was just like I need I just need to write music and just make the record and then hopefully you know everything is uh gonna sort itself out and um we we run the business in a way where we had you know my business manager had budgeted for a year off anyway we make all of our projections on worst case always so like whenever we're going on tour like we we run the books based on never selling a single t-shirt you know we 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 just we don't we don't make projections on things that um have variables we just only only what we can predict so um we had already basically said yeah we can survive a year even like pre-pandemic we were like yeah 2020 is off and It's going to be fine and um we actually intended to have a lull intended to have a slow year because that's usually how it goes when when life is on the rails um you take a year off touring Mm -hmm. you have a slower year you know you're you're not streaming maybe as much and stuff like yeah makes sense right but um we inadvertently had found ourselves in in a situation where it was actually extremely beneficial for the company and um I didn't lean into that and try to be like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I see an opportunity to like hawk all of our physical goods and like tell people to stream more and like do all this stuff. I just didn't say anything. And we just let it do what it was already doing. Um, Is it some calculated mastermind plan to be like, yeah, like we run our business like this. So like when the world goes, you know, up, then like we're good. Like I, we, this is just something that we can pat ourselves on the back for now, but it wasn't ever like part of the business plan. Um, but there's an you important know, thing that you consider. keep saying, though, that I
1: think a lot Which of is. artists struggle with. Well, you keep referring to it as a business, our business plan, our business, oh. you know, the, <laughs>
0: so, that's yeah, the thing. I, is, I, I,
1: I'm, I'm, yeah. People don't think about yeah. that, you know, and that's what it is. I mean, I don't know how it's set up in Canada, but in the States, like you you got an LLC. Write things off that you can write yeah. off, like pay attention to this stuff. Right? Yeah, It's, it's the know? same here. It, it is okay. So yeah, like I go to the post office every day, and I make sure that I. Okay, how many miles is that? Because we can write that off. Like, pay attention to these things that, are, they they're they're not fun, they're not exciting to talk about in the way that like producing your art is or the gear is or whatever. But it's an important part of the equation to being able to do it. You know, that's that's the way I look at it.
0: Absolutely. And I think that it kills the vibe for a lot of like super left brain musical artsy types is like the concept of conflating business with art. It's like, this is the thing that I love. And it's like the thing that allows me to escape like all the boring adult crap. And I'll be completely honest. I'm like, I'm business minded. And I have a vision for this. And like, I have my hand on the wheel. Yeah. But um, I'm not the guy running the books and like doing all these things. Like, you know, I have a, I have a very synergistic relationship with my manager who, you know, rich, um, Richard Fernandez, he, um, we some protest, the hero, Sliverstein, August Burns red bands like that. Um, we, we have this amazing relationship. We've been working together since 2016. And, um, you know. I bring him ideas or we, we, we have conversations where I can just be the visionary. And then, you know, Rich does that thing he's so good at, which is like carrying out all of those things and seeing the menial details through. We also have a a phenomenal, um, business manager slash accountant who helps keep that in check and allow us to, you know, to make things, decisions that are realistic, you know, give us good news and say, ah, you could, afford to do more here or you could a hey, watch out you should probably do a little less there so we you know we have our systems and our way of doing things i was flying by the seat of my pants in the early days i mean i remember just coming home from tours with piles of receipts uh pre right. pre-incorporating and 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 we were you know running everything as a as a sole proprietorship which is if it's any you know if if proprietorship is anything like it is uh over on your side of the border that that is like here it's like i was synonymous with the business like if there was a liability issue or anything and we were touring heavily with crew if anything was to ever happen it was me i would lose everything so we did this for an extremely long time i had a different accountant and everything and was getting some bad advice really we were way too too uh, far gone to have been doing anything like that. When I look back on it, it was very risky. There was a lot of liability because, you know, really at the end of the day, we were operating like a big business, but the accountant was like, well, you can get some tax benefits if you just don't incorporate yet and do this and do that. But like the, the liability type stuff was nuts early on. The fact that we were in a van and trailer with all this equipment going coast to coast and in, in a different country and we've got guys that were paying and like any one of those dudes could get hurt and turn around and sue me or something could happen at a venue or we could like, you know, get in an accident and we did get in a freaking, you know, I've ha- been in a van flip. So it's like, oh geez, it's... Oh yeah, yeah. The night our out, um, the AVW record came out in 2014. We we're on our way from Des Moines up to Twin Cities, and it's like 4:30 a.m. and we hit some black ice, and we rolled with the trailer on everything into a snowbank. Wow. Everybody, oh, yeah.
1: okay? I assume.
0: Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah, we're good. Yeah, yeah. The uh, it was, it was a. Uh, You know, it was a very close call. Uh, The trailer was completely mangled, um, but we managed to actually get it back on its boots, and uh, we crashed one exit away from a trailer repair shop. Nice. (laughs) We managed to, like, strap it up to something that, like, realigned the structure of it, and we finished a tour with it, which is crazy. I can't believe we did that. That was also so dangerous. But the van was fine, and we were fine, and we, we kept it moving. But, you know, situations like that, and I was not incorporated at the time. I had no, I was all sole proprietorship. It was completely just like tied up under my name. So we've, we've, you know, I learned the hard way and, uh, like, thankfully, like, you know, nobody was hurt. Nothing happened at that time. I'm extremely lucky that that's the case. But, um, you know, we've, we've been through it all, you know, and now we, we've built the business out to be fairly bonafide and, and yeah, um i don't ever really think about things that way like you know oh yeah my, my music is my business like i it's just from like a decade plus of doing this that we just we've built it to where there's like safeguards on everything like i'm finally at a position now where for the last few years i've been able to just worry about the music i mm-hmm. just play guitar i just come up with creative ideas i i, I you know um Structure, um, you know, the content and, and, and the things that I want to achieve when it comes into, you know, marketing a cycle, uh, release of anything, you know, I'm part and parcel to the merch, to the, you know, any of the visual stuff anything to do with, you know, just everything in general. I mean, the brand is synonymous with with myself, the individual. So um, I just get to do that stuff. And we've, you know, through the School of Hard Knocks built our systems to where the business is a sort of self-regulating entity um, where, you know, it's just myself and my manager and our business manager and and that's, you know. And then the guys come out when it's live time. So which is coming back soon, it's been far too long. Tired mm-hmm. of playing guitar with a computer, so right. Let's go. <laughs> Here we are.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. well, I think hopefully somebody's listening to this right now, and they can not have to take those risks. You know, they can go. Oh, wait a minute. Aaron already did that for me, so now I don't have to. Uh, yeah. I don't have to do that. You know, because it, at least in the states, and I'm guessing it's the same in Canada. Like, it's not that hard to like separate yourself legally. From some of these things like here i mean you just go no, to legalzoom.com just... and start yourself a llc and you automatically have that layer of protection for that kind of stuff and it's again it's kind of boring yeah, stuff and i but, think that
0: a lot of the time yeah. no doubt yeah and, and mm-hmm. these are the types of things that you got to do you know and everyone wants to like a lot of you know guys in bands and stuff or people that like tour play shows or whatever everyone knows like even guys just from their hometown who play like some regional shows and they're like Want to big brother you or son you or whatever, and say hey do this don't do this don't do this do this do, don't do this you know and I took a lot of advice early on I mean if the the number one piece of advice I took from any of the bigger bands we started touring with early on like I remember being on tour with uh, our first U.S. run here is a weird one. Um, Misery Signals, the Color Morale, intervals, and in the Kindred. That was a okay. Interv- that was a very interesting, uh, very yeah. interesting tour. Um, but I love Misery Signals. I've been a fan forever, and I just I adore that band. So that was a big deal for us and stuff. But I just remember being out there, and you know they were at a strange point because they were coming back from a hiatus, and the band's always been a little on and off and stuff. And you know we had conversations about like if you don't do if you, if if there was one thing not to do unless it absolutely was in your favor, do not take a deal, mm-hmm. you know? And um, that that's something that we've stayed true to the entire time intervals is 100% independent. So this is all completely funded from the early days of the fans via Bandcamp all the way through until, you know, now off the back of entire, you know, barring a few regions like world tours, you know, we've pretty much done everything. So um, huge piece of advice, you know? Yeah. Uh, things like that. Yes. If somebody tells you they want to manage your band and you can just PayPal the money here on this, don't stop. (laughs) Don't do it. You know, it's like these types of things that don't like, these are the types of advice that like, I think early on, like really make the difference. Do everything you can yourself until you no longer can. Like if the kitchen is overflowing with merch and the post office guy is like pissed off at you, now it's time for a merge company. But until you get the dude at the wicket putting all the stamps on everything, sucking his teeth at you, it's not time for a merge company. Right. If if somebody is approaching you and saying you can pay a set fee for them to manage you, no, that's not a manager. You need to get to a point where a manager is approaching you because they can see that you're overwhelmed with your own business and that there's more potential that you need to realize via them. Mm-hmm. That's a manager. That's a completely different operation. That individual should also even be happy to work six to 12 months no commission to get to get it started these are the types of people you want to work with um a booking agent isn't somebody you pay a fee to these are symbiotic relationships you play the show they get paid Mm -hmm. manager gets you business they make money right zero percent of zero is zero right so you know what i mean that these are the types of things that like young artists need to learn Early on, you know, you have one cool video that's doing numbers on YouTube. No, it's not time for a manager. No. you haven't played a show yet? No, it's not time for a lot of these you know, so I could go on for a long time about that. Those are the types of things that I think make the most sense. Is it time to incorporate immediately? Yeah, I mean, you could do a few things, you know if if there's some situations where, yeah, some money's starting to come in or maybe you got a few people working for the band, you know, here and there and stuff like that. yeah you know keep it above board keep it on the books you know um i definitely <laughs> when i got started with accountants and stuff like that early on there was like a few years of catch up and it was a nightmare so yeah that's Mm -hmm. the type of stuff for sure like you know keep it keep it organized but like do everything that you can by yourself until you no longer if it's until it detracts from the thing you do in the band like if you're finding that you cannot play guitar as much as you need to because you're doing xyz maybe now that's time for for that type of stuff but yeah so
1: yeah it makes a ton of sense i think that's really really important (laughs) for people to hear all right, so we we were talking about you know the boring business stuff and and all that, and I'm sure that's not what everybody tunes into here. So I see you've got a lot of sweet pedals back there. You've got some, uh, some you got stuff. some gear visible. Like, what's the rig these yeah. days? Let's maybe like you're getting ready to go on tour. What's the touring rig gonna look like?
0: Yeah. So the studio space is Mad Scientist Edition right now for sure. Um, I'm I've got you on my webcam, so I can't show you the best because you're kind of locked in, although you do get the added benefit of seeing the mirror over my shoulder, but the entire (laughs) surface of my desk is covered in pedals. And there's a there's certainly a workstation over here that's got uh, some things going on. But of course, there's a whole audio component of this this podcast. So I'm just gonna describe things. But basically, um, I'm working with the quad cortex, the neural DSP quad cortex and getting ready to um, implement that for the live show. by no means the first guys to take it live because some other acts have have got going i'm in canada where we're a little behind on having live music happen and to be completely honest even if shows were full tilt here right now i it's not how we operate like we just do everything in full tours so i have shows coming up november december we're on tour so i'll be preparing and, and pushing the boat out for that but um i've been working just you know preliminary with the quad cortex which is mounted right here on, on a stand on my desk and uh implementing um you know building presets uh that are you know each one is a respective song and within that are all the scene combination moves and everything that i need to do to achieve the various you know moves that i need to make for a song so multiple mm-hmm. combinations of effects on and off or changing parameters within the amplifier things things like that. And uh, the biggest thing right now is just making sure that MIDI implementation is smooth. Uh, the way we run our show is everything is automated. So I will have it on the floor in front of me uh, for use with some of the, the tactile you know features uh, that the unit has to offer, which is, which is great. And, and it's not not unfamiliar with the way we were running the ax FX3 before. We had the uh, FC12 foot switches in front of us. The rack units were still automated in real time with the uh, with MIDI to the to the show, um, but if I ever needed to like kick a block on and off just to be spontaneous or tap the tuner on or do whatever, I had had it at my feet and at the ready. With Quad Cortex, it's a very tactile type thing, so I'm not doing so much like block bypass or kicking like you know stomping blocks on and off or anything like that. But there'll be an expression pedal or two um, to for use with uh, you know maybe just like assignable per preset. So you know I might have like a an octave or whammy type situation assigned to one. Um, And then, you know, I can do everything from basic things like volume to if I want to get weird and do stuff like, you know, assign gain to something for like you know dynamic control over my gain level or something i can do that with an expression pedal but the rig is going to be quad cortex and uh i had a grandiose idea of implementing some other devices surrounding it because quad cortex takes pedals so damn well Mm -hmm. uh that i really did want to incorporate a bit of a hybrid rig and i've wanted to do this for a long time where you have physical pedals like analog hardware incorporated with a modeler um you know, just to satisfy the nerdery in me, but to also have, you know, like some unique approach to um, how I'm getting some of my sounds. So um, the initial idea for the rig was to have um, the Chase Bliss um, uh, Benson uh, preamp Mark II. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, In in front of the quad cortex. Uh, So... You know, the idea there would be using MIDI to recall infinite amount of drives that I could have, you know, from an analog standpoint feeding into Quad Cortex. Because the front end of Quad Cortex takes pedals so well that rather than capturing them and spending all my time, like, cataloging things and, like, putting them in there per preset, which is certainly a functional way to do things, and it probably is how I'm going to do it. I wanted to have um, the Chase Bliss Preamp Mark II um, in front and then just send everything... um, you know, CCs or, or program changes to to uh, allow for the the different uh, changes in the gain structure before the Quad Cortex. Um, but it, it, it's uh, some of the MIDI functions right now with Quad Cortex are just a little bit, they're, they, they, you know what, there's a good chance that they could actually be updated and I'll have what I need by the time I get on tour, but I need to like lock my workflow in now so I can update the rig later. But what I'm going to do is just take captures of the various pedals and things that I want to incorporate um, and I'm treating quad cortex in a really simple way. I know I'm making it sound complicated, but I'm actually just using one amp basically the entire time, unless I need something clean as a whistle, but I'm using the 2203 model, which is a JCM 800. And mm-hmm. it's so dynamic and phenomenal. I I could just take everything down from edge of breakup all the way to balls to the wall with the, you know, right overdrives and the right sounds and stuff and get a fully saturated, um, Tight balls to the wall rhythm shit. I need it. I can get big, soaring mid-heavy leads. I can also get like really crispy split coil, dynamic edge of breakup type stuff. Um, just using the one amplifier. So the idea was to treat it like as if it's just the one amp solution. Like I have an amp behind me in the ra- the you know the back line or something, and then just give it pedals. So um, it'll be uh, you know, barring that grandiose idea. I'm gonna use this, which is the Digitech Freakout. Yes, I love the the Freakout, and I've used it. Yeah, I've used it with the Axe Effects too. This is a must for live. If guys don't know about this pedal, I'm giving away the sauce right now. But this allows (laughs) you to basically—it's like having an EBO without having to hold it on your guitar, so you can um, sustain and feedback notes at will, which is phenomenal. And you can use it in unconventional ways. I'm using it to add sustain to the end of a—you know—if I'm holding a note at the end of a solo or something. Or if I'm doing something ambient and I want it to take off and have that like upper octave or some overtones or whatever, you can set the ballistics like how how quickly it ramps up and how much gain and everything, how much it excites the pickups and stuff. And you see, I have one of those those uh, big uh, barefoot buttons on it mm-hmm. because you know, and it's in red, so I can see it's like this is like you know this is uh, epic mode. If I can stand on that and and it's a it's a game changer live. So this will be before the quad cortex. I have a couple expression pedals for control there. And what you can't see, this is the only other device that I will actually be using with MIDI implementation and everything with Quad Cortex is the Hologram Electronics Microcosm. Yes. It's, it's so the best have, pedal ever. I have the microcosm. Best pedal ever. <laughs> I have the microcosm in the loop uh, and I'm able to insert it anywhere in the chain. I'm treating it like it's happening after the cabinet and the microphones as if it's like, you know, the way you would kind of run it as like a piece of outboard gear or something. So I'm not using it into the front of the amp or between the amp and the cabinet. I'm using it after the IR block. So after the cabinets and everything as if your whole guitar rig was being like micro sampled through uh the microcosm and then wow. it uh i send to it in mono and then i return in stereo and then i have a stereo chorus delay and reverb after the microcosm inside quad cortex so i can leave and go through microcosm and i can come back and then i have all of my time-based effects and that's pretty much it we'll use the additional outputs to drive um some seymour duncan power amps the power stage um 700s in the rack that we use to drive cabinets on stage we're gonna try something different this tour where we do uh, each guitar player will be on a pair of vertical 212s and Mm -hmm. uh, we'll be both in stereo on the stage to have an accurate representation of how we treat the front of house. Cause typically we'll have, you know, one cab over my shoulder and then, you know, the other guys on coming out the other side of the stage or, you know, wherever. So if you're standing at the barricade and and the PA is pointed over your head, like in a smaller club or something, a lot of times, you know, people be like, oh, you sounded so great, but I only got so much of Travis's guitar or I could only hear you. I couldn't hear Travis. And that's because, you know, we had like one mono guitar driving each side of the stage for the physical cabinets on stage. And then the right. image is a little lopsided because it's not exactly what's coming out of the front of house. We run both guitars direct to the front of house in stereo. So we decided at the end of the last cycle that what we wanted to do was implement Uh, some sort of solution that represents the image off the deck, like right off the stage that represents the, you know, yeah, what's going on in the front of the house. So we'll each be on a pair of vertical 212s. So from the drum kit, you'll have, you know, you have the kit, and then you'll have a pair of vertical dark glass uh, 212 bass cabinets. Mm -hmm. And then it'll be two of me left and right and two of Travis left and right. All vertical 212s. So that's yeah, so that's what we're th- we're thinking of doing this time, which is gonna be really cool. Quad cortex for, for everybody, including bass as well. So we're we're all adopting it and um it's been amazing, you know. It's it, it is in its infancy, so there's some features. But I I'm actually in a Slack group with the guys, and like as I uncover MIDI bugs and things like that, or anything that I'm finding, I'm able to turn it around, and they're writing tickets and generating like corrections for like a lot of these things. I tend to be really demanding with the way I work MIDI for these devices. I did it for years with the Axe Effects. I recreate the album to a T. So it's like if there's a moment where the band drops out and my guitar is like a lo-fi filter with a light reverb and then we kick back in and I've got like different effects on and things, I treat everything as if it's the studio live. So every move is happening and I'm playing it all, but the effects are changing in real time. So are you, so you have all these pedals you obviously really like,
1: having the physical thing as well.
0: Oh, yeah, that's when a whole you're... other side of things, too. I got a ton ton of pedals that I'm 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 capturing and using with quad cortex while while I prepare. Yeah,
1: yeah, that leads me to my next question. so like when mm-hmm. you're in the studio, so you treat live as if you're in the studio. But are you actually using the physical devices when you're recording the album? And then you're just uh, recreating them in quad cortex for live.
0: Is that how you do it? Well, the funny thing is, is that the latest record is all the Neural DSP plugins. <laughs> so okay. <I> didn't, even, <laughs> didn't even use anything physical. The guitars are all 100% digital, which is really funny, actually, because in the pa- for the past two records, we've tracked the, uh, you know, we've done the, the you split your D- DIs up, use a modeler to do the scratch tracks or to kind of like a ghost track, like a guide track so you can capture your DIs and everything. And then we reamp through physical gear later. Um, pedal chains and amplifiers and stuff. The thing is, is I just feel like something gets lost with the reamp thing. I'm just not that in love with reamping. I feel like a little bit of nuance and a little bit of performance is lost. I'm sure, yeah, you can have the most optimized setup for reamping and any degradation or loss would be negligible, but it's not my favorite workflow. So we saved a lot of time by basically, you know, using the plugins to have our tracking tones within about a 10% tolerance of mm-hmm. like, you know, like if the sounds were all 90% while we were making the record, like when it came to the mix, we might have like gone in and moved the 57 on the digital cabinet a little, maybe changed the mids or like up the gain a little on this or that or whatever. But everything stayed the same. We never did any drastic changes like, oh, we tracked with the Fort and Cali plugin, but now we're we're over here on this plugin. Like everything stayed exactly the same. And that's because in the pre-production phase You know, I know what kind of sounds I want. I know gear well enough to know like, oh, this is like a split coil thing. I want like a British thing on the edge of breakup, or I want this amp for this sound or whatever. Um, We don't have to like reach in the bag and like try all these exotic things. I'm within a certain, I'm within striking distance of everything at all times. So it, it, it made life easy to just use the plugins. But when I say I'm I'm sort of approaching live like the album, I just mean the moves. I just mean like if there's like a production move coming up like with a filtered thing or an effect thing or something like that, I don't just go, ah, well, it's live. They won't tell the difference. I mean, there's some things where it's like, yeah, nuance is certainly lost on a big loud room, but I love to feel the music as if I'm performing the record like to a T. I think it's really cool and I think that fans expect that from us and we've always had a really strong, high-quality production live. So Quad Cortex is allowing me to do that. Not that I wasn't doing that with the Axe Effects. I certainly was. I was always recreating sounds and delivering. But now being able to, um, yeah, capture devices here. I mean, in fact, what I'm probably doing is enhancing beyond what I did on the album and I'm using things that tricks that I'm learning with pedals and all the nerdery I discovered throughout quarantine and stuff like that where I've just been in the studio like discovering new pedals and sounds I can now apply them in quad cortex take them on the road with me and um just have like a really big robust sort of approach and 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 there are things that I'm learning that are not on the record where I'm approaching things differently now like I've gone down the rabbit hole with fuzz in a big way, and I'm really enjoying incorporating that and, um, uh, you know, um, or just different flavors of drive and stuff. Um, You know, um, the the preamp Mark II opened my eyes to being, you know, being able to just get extremely flexible with drive and how the front end of the amp sees that. And, um, you know, the the big staples uh, have been like... um, you know, uh, I fell in love with the well, the, you know, there's just different approaches, right? So, when it comes to like pushing a tight amp into a rhythm kind of vibe, I'm yeah, I love a good tube screamer, but like, come on, we could do a little bit. There's other things like we learn some stuff, mm-hmm. right? Right, right. So, right. Earthquaker devices plumes like all day, all day. It's like my favorite tube screamer ish type thing. Um, and there's been some other variants that I've loved in the past, but yeah, fell in love with that. Um, certainly capturing that and 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 utilizing that. um anything where I need like a little bit more bite and a little more upper mid bump. Um, I've got the uh, rocky repaired amps um clone clone that I've mm-hmm. been really enjoying. And I have other clonish things. I've got Atumnus and some other things, but like the the Ryra clone is phenomenal. I love that one. Uh, and then the thing that really opened my eyes to Um, how to hit the front end of the amp with some different drive flavors and enhance what the amp is doing. Our flat response drives like preamps, never really messed with that before, fell in love with the original version of the Benson preamp, which I faithfully keep on the desk. Absolutely adore this. Chris Benson is a freaking madman and a really nice guy. Um, A friend of mine, um, yeah, there you go. I saw it over your shoulder, yeah, nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, a buddy of mine actually teed Chris and I up, and we got to talk and got on a phone call and stuff, and uh, I have an amp on order, which I'm really excited about. Oh, That's a which a little one? treat for the end of the year. I I got a Monarch Reverb. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm very I'm a, excited, and I did it in the... Oh,
1: sorry, yeah, I'm a I'm a Benson fanatic, and everybody knows that. Chris is a good friend of mine. He was... Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, he was guest number two, I think, ever on the podcast. And oh, Oh, I gotta go back and listen to that one then. Nice, nice. Yeah. And uh he I forgot. This this just reminded me. Uh I'm really bad about remembering that I, I I told the Facebook group that, hey, Aaron's coming on and blah, blah. Chris chimed in and said, Oh, make sure you tell him hi, he's great. Um, but I will have to get into the overall Facebook group question before we uh before we sign off, or I'll get in trouble again. So um
0: Okay, for sure. Yeah, we'll we'll sorry, get to I interrupted. It. So yeah, you there, so but- shout out to chris and and hello hello chris uh what a guy amazing dude so um yeah this is this is bonkers and and chris helped me acquire the preamp mark ii which is once i realized how much is in this pedal with just four knobs the preamp the original preamp um i was like oh midi recallable with faders like Mm -hmm. that's now i understand I didn't really understand that pedal until I, I experienced the preamp and went, oh, now I understand why you would want that. Because there's some, you move the knobs in a couple different directions, and you're like, wait, I want like five of these things on a pedal board. How could I do that? Mm-hmm. So that's that's the best thing about the preamp Mark II. I love that. And um, I've waited very patiently, and it just arrived yesterday, and I've been nonstop playing it since last night. And this morning, um, I got a 1981 Inventions DRV. It's number three oh, yes. and it's dude it's so good man and like I really actually I'll be completely honest Um, I just I see it everywhere and I'm like a lot of the times man I'm like what is this nonsense hype about you know like this thing is you know especially with things that are so aesthetic like that it's like everyone gets so fussed on how a pedal looks a lot of the time and I'm like okay but does it actually sound good I see this on so many boards and everyone acts like it's the end all be all so like I'm gonna you know, I saw that um, they went up for pre-order back in like May or something, and I I grabbed one. It just showed up two days ago. I've been patiently waiting for it. Uh, it's getting captured for the live rig. Oh it's yeah, so good, especially into the to the JCM 800. Like I thought I was gonna like it more so into like a clean platform or something like that. Um, but wow, like pushing an already driven amp, um, the the cut control is so flexible. Um, where you can get these amazing, like, you know, stringy, really clear, crisp sounds that are like still fat and like really just feel good under the picking hand and stuff. So been loving that, um, honorable men, well, not honorable mentions, but just so I don't forget, um, shout out to the origin guys, the Cali 76 and the revival drive have been. Amazing, I've been loving that. Also, Walrus, everything Walrus, always and forever. Everything they make is phenomenal. They sent me that polychrome uh, flanger, which is amazing. I got the ACS-1 recently, which is really cool. I've also been messing with the Strymon Iridian. Also, yes, everything Stryman. I got a Night Sky and a Volante this yeah. year as well, which have been amazing. <laughs> uh, it's pretty nuts, man. Uh, it, this room is filled with stuff. I also got that Benson Germanium, uh, the, the temperature-controlled the fuzz. fuzz that's mm. sitting right there. Um, Lawrence Petros as well, the LPD pedals. This is the uh, the 87 Deluxe, I love that. And he just dropped that uh Embers um limited edition overdrive, which he sent me months ago. I haven't been able to talk about it, but he he just launched it and it's sold out already. That's he makes uh, such cool stuff. That's been phenomenal.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. The L- anything LPD is amazing. I really want to check out the reverb. Um, I'm bouncing all over the place, but I'll leave it at this before we move on to, I'm sure there's other things you want to talk about, but the 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 last like really pivotal thing that I got that it's not necessarily so functional with the modeler, but from a, you know, if you're chaining up pedals and you're using a bunch of cables and you're going in a bunch of different directions, you probably know what I'm going to say. But the uh 29 pedals Yuna is I'd never want to plug my guitar into anything that doesn't have that involved. Again, unless it's just a modeler or something, you're running, you know, 20 feet of cable into it. There's such a high, um, you know, there's just such a quality buffer and so much flexibility on the input of the quad cortex that it's not necessary. I I did mess around and uh, throw Yuna in front of the quad cortex to see if it was necessary, but it it just kind of isn't. You know, there's some EQ advantage to that, but like, you don't really need it in in modeler land. But man, oh man, with pedals uh yuna is a game changer so really enjoy that and um i just i don't understand what's happening in there but i just know that i need it forever so that's a great that's a great pedal <laughs>
1: that's yeah. all you need to know you don't need to know anymore there's magic fairies in there doing tone
0: stuff that's what they're doing right? it's amazing yeah and then you know like beatronic stuff has been phenomenal those guys were really kind at the beginning of the year and sent me out a bunch of stuff the fat b is one of the most amazing overdrives i've ever played just Makes the front end of your amp just cave in. Um, Picked up that Bender um, from uh, JHS, which I really like as well for, like, the more raunchy stuff. Um, Been really enjoying, like, Tone Bender-style circuits, things of that nature. I'm just glancing around the room. There's things that I, (laughs) I, I want, but I'm controlling myself to not. There's, like, two that are on my list right now. I need more pedals, like, a hole in the head, but... I uh, would love the brown amplification protein I don't have that and that's uh, mm-hmm. two of my favorite circuits I love a good blues driver and I I do have a, a nobles ODR one uh, which I really like but f- to my understanding it's a more refined take on that circuit and I love the nobles so the proteins probably amazing and um, the other one is that uh, the cornerstone uh the double-sided one uh, um, the, I want uh, that joint too for no, duelist the
1: no, is it the duelist? No, the cornerstone
0: about. is the. Um, yeah, yeah, I, f- I forget the just the model. Gladio, you see it everywhere. Gladio, um or something. Yeah, the Gladio, that's the mm-hmm. one. The Gladio preamp, the double-sided one. Um, yeah. I want, I want that bad. I got a, somebody put a capture up on the the Cortex Mobile, and I I grabbed it. It's been a nice way to actually try certain things too. Um, you know, the, I mean, the captures aren't you know. It, there's something to, left to be desired because there's no control over them. They're they're essentially a snapshot. Um, but I loved the way it interacted with all my sounds. So I was like, yeah, that's a good one for sure. And um, the Hudson Broadcast oh, the is broadcast. another one. And pardon me, I almost I almost got the Hudson, and a buddy told me to get the Benson preamp, and that's what sent me down the rabbit hole with the Benson stuff. So and uh, yeah, Chris is so amazing, and I uh, got that Monarch reverb. In yeah. uh, in the Aunt Gertie finish coming at the end of the Ooh, year, It's gonna for be that. classy. Yeah, <laughs> it's <laughs> gonna be very classy.
1: Yeah, monarch yeah, yeah, was really the first. Yeah, really excited uh, about that. First Benson, that I I got it was like number fifty or something, and then uh, damn, yeah, then the I got Vinny number one. That's what's behind my shoulder. That was I had him make Amazing. that after my son was born, um, and then it became a oh, real pro- nice. production unit. And then I have not on camera, but the Vincent. The first Vincent he built too, which was something we had kind of brainstormed together and he made just better than I could have possibly imagined. So I'm real, real lucky because Chris lives in the same town as I do and we've had this weird parallel trajectory uh, as far as like our involvement in the gear world goes. Um, He obviously got started before I did, but we both kind of have been, you know, bouncing stuff off each other for years. So he's, he's... He's a super good friend, and uh, it's cool that you guys know know each other because I didn't actually know that before he mentioned it. It was just kind of cool.
0: Yeah, Sean at Edge of Breakup teed us up together, oh, there and you go. Um, that's how we yeah that's how we ended up connecting, and um, and we had a phone call, and you know, um, it was really like, hey you know um sean was like you you two definitely need to to chat and chris was just like dude let's just have a let's just have a call and nerd out so yeah um and i had actually just ordered my my preamp um before even talking to him and then uh we got to speaking on the phone and it was like dude put me down for an amp and a fuzz like yeah let's go so yeah really really cool um and we haven't even talked about the rabbit hole that is the analog synth world the uh that stuff is starting to uh, intimidate the guitar equipment in the room. But um, <laughs> um, I'm waiting on a triple stand. Actually, there's a Juno 106 sitting in the corner over here too that needs to go with this uh, Sub 37 and that Prophet 6. But oh, I've man. been really, really enjoying that side of things. I've been, been, been going crazy this year. So learning new tricks, lots of stuff coming for new records and subsequent music and stuff like that, really getting into um, allowing a lot of this stuff to... You know, shape a vibe and take me in a different direction. You know, Um, I never really feel like I'm at a loss for sitting down and composing music with the guitar, but I really, um, given the time, which I haven't had since the beginning of intervals, because we've never really stopped, I've always just like, okay, take time, make a record, get back on tour. Like, I never Mm -hmm. feel like I I get the time to explore the way I want to. So, this time has been beneficial for that. And I've, you know, I went crazy with just checking out all the things that I want to because there's no reason not to. And you can't stop me of so. course <laughs> man we've been going this
1: is I think I could talk to you all day but better get into the uh, the overall Facebook group question and it was largely okay, it, cool. it was kind of weird they don't usually it's a bunch of different stuff but this was all centered around the same general point which was uh, I'll summarize what everybody was saying best I can from memory but basically sure he's an extremely precise player and he ha- seems to have his style that he always works within. But does he take that to other genres? Do you tend to, have you tried going in like, have you ever played country or some, some other totally off the wall thing from what people normally know you as? And do you take that precision with you or do you you try to adjust to the genre? Hmm kind of a weird question um, but that was it, that was what they were like,
0: saying. No, it's not weird. It's just a very specific and well-crafted question. Um like the thing is is that I am capable of functioning in 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 a number of circumstances or scenarios. Um I often did actually think that, you know, maybe around the time that I was finishing high school and before I was doing this that like maybe I would want to pursue the side man route and just kind of like Maybe try to figure out how to network in that world and get a gig, or get gigs supporting artists and stuff. Because I really like that. As much as I like being the visionary, I also love not thinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love to just play. So um, I I would be very happy to function uh, as part of a, a larger production. And and I all throughout high school I was in a music theater ensemble. So you know I, I I've done this before it's where I actually cut my teeth was being part of a larger entity and not being the guy, you know, I, I've just t- taken the wheel out of necessity because nobody's gonna do it for you. So I have got stuck in a situation where I had to do it and I'm the guy who has to do it. I live and die by it now. So um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm I'm versatile in the sense that I, I I certainly can do that. And can I like rough it up and play with a little less precision? I mean, that's a nuanced it's very subjective what they mean by that because what what are we talking about with precision like are we talking about like just not caring so much we're we talking about playing behind the beat like what are we talking about here you know at the end of the day like my hands are my hands right so yeah i play pretty on top of the beat i play you know i'm pretty exact in the things that i i, I like to do or i like to say but also when improvising and, and we do this in the context of encore jams in the live show or whenever possible, like whenever I'm hanging with like a guy like uh, my guitar tech and guitar guru confidant here in the city, Rob Capoletto, or if I'm hanging out with like Nick Johnson or something and we're jamming, I, I you know, play pretty free time and like let myself not, you know, it's not all, all these rigorous, like regimented, like hard 16th notes and everything. Like I do play with, with space and feel and time and stuff. So um, I think that, in the context of intervals, it's high energy precision, like really melodic, like in your face, like I want it to be exact because that's that's the that's what I've, you know. That's what I'm building. I'm building this like thing that hits you like hand in a glove, like a big machine. Every time the kick is locked with the bass and the melody's coming at you with the riff and everything is hitting you like a wall of sound. And that's what I've built intervals on because that's the, that's the vibe, um, you know. And uh, there's room to explore and head take that in different directions. I mean, it is progressive rock slash metal, and there are moments that are definitely more colorful and loose and fusiony, and then there's moments that are definitely more riff driven and exact and precise, but as far as me in the context of other genres, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a hack when it comes to blues, but I have a few chops and I like to jam, so I'm down like I don't feel like a fish completely out of water when it's time to like bust that out or whatever. Um mm-hmm. Can I play over some insane jazz changes? I mean, my ear is strong enough to, and my intuition and my confidence to like maintain conviction throughout improvising. Like, I can hang. Yeah. Uh, Am I playing through changes like, uh, you know, some of the, you know, insert incredible jazz guitar player here? Um, No, I didn't. I, I just didn't take that time to do that. Do I understand what's happening? On an intuitive level, yeah. Can I reverse engineer and break things down, and do I understand the theory? Yes, absolutely. You know, I understand like you know, uh, um, you know, um, target tones and modal playing and modal pivoting and you know key centers and all that stuff. Like, yeah, I, it's there for sure. Do I spend my time playing over standards and exploring changes? No. Mm-hmm. Do I write myself changes in the context of my own music and 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 try to draw straight line? through it doing what I do, like, melodically and sounding like me? Yes. So for me, it's always about, like, staying productive in the context of of what I do. Um, I love doing other stuff. I would certainly be down to collaborate and do, like, other projects and do all that stuff, but because Intervals is a full-time touring entity, it's the means to my end, lives and dies by me, this is what I do. I spend all my time thinking about this and and the music that I make and stuff. So if I could just, like, you know, if there was like, you know, 40 hours in a day or something, then maybe I'd have time to do some of that other stuff. But this is, <laughs> this is the thing that I do. So yeah. Um, but I'm down to hang and I'm always down to jam and I'm always down to collaborate and people are, can feel free to reach out. And, you know, I love stuff like that, whether it's contributing on a guest solo or doing a co-write or something. And I've done that in the context of event rules. certainly have done. Uh, there's a there's a co write with my buddy Josh on the latest record. Yeah, it's in the style of intervals, but like, you know, I'm always down to collaborate. Did that on the previous record on the way forward with a Norwegian artist named O-Wayne. He did all of the scoring and keys and stuff like that. And um, we collaborated on that side of the record. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a long response, but uh, I can plug myself in. I'm only going to be me because that's all I can be. And uh, can I loosen up and play a little with a little more feel and a little more behind the beat and not care as much? Oh yeah, absolutely. But <laughs> if you're if you're looking at me going, well, what are you all about? Well, there's like forty five plus songs on Spotify that right now that tells you what that is. And it's like I'm pretty sure when you get to that point of a decade of doing that that's what you're known for. And like, that's what comes the most like naturally and, and intuitively from that person's hands. So I can only just be me. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. totally. I think that was a good response.
1: That's a, I don't know what else you could say. <laughs> yeah. I'm me boys. I'm for me. Sure. Like, come
0: on. <laughs> I. That's it. You know, I can be me with a different hat on.
1: Right. You know, of course. Of course. So
0: yeah, but, but, but at this, it's always going to be the same guy. So totally.
1: Yeah. Totally. All right, man. Well, we've done it we've uh we've actually crested that hour and i've got to give you the opportunity to take the floor before we get into the classic questions. so normally before i ask my final two questions i like to give the guest the chance to you know say whatever he wants to say you know plug whatever you want to plug say hello to aunt gertrude like whatever you got to do like this is your time to do it
0: um damn that's a lot of pressure what do you do in this moment um Honestly, if you're listening to this and you're in the United States and you are uh, missing live music as much as I am, come to a show. Uh, Tour begins in Pontiac, Michigan on November 19th. And it finishes back on the East Coast in Boston, as far as the U.S. leg goes, mm-hmm. uh, on December sixteenth. And I'm playing everywhere in between. Unfortunately, no PNW, and it's bothering me a lot because uh, I love oh, Portland boo. and Seattle and everything up there. I, I think it's because there's no Vancouver show. The logistics just didn't a lot for it. But you should come to the Salt Lake show. You could certainly, if you want to drive and come hang out, you can come do that. <laughs> um, be fun. I've I mean, never it's been. The closest thing to you. Yeah. Oh, then come to Salt Lake. Let's hang. Uh, but yeah, so going to be on tour. It's the first time post-pandemic. This is wild. We're supporting Circadian exactly one year from its release. Really excited about that. We're touring with Thank You Scientist and Crypto Dira, some phenomenal bands. We actually have a another band that we're adding to the tour, which is a surprise. We haven't mentioned that yet, but at the end of August there will be an addition to the tour, which I'm really excited about. Super sick band. They have a record coming out in September. Really exciting band, really talented. So um, that's going to be really cool. And um, just looking forward to that. And, you know, uh, if you guys aren't following me on Instagram or any of those places, like please do so. Stay in touch. Would love to connect with you guys at a show. Uh, Or just, you know, if you're not uh, up on your intervals tunes, jump on a streaming platform, check me out, would really appreciate it. Um, And honestly, that's about it. Like, I'm just happy to have uh, weathered the storm. Pandemic isn't necessarily over, but I think that uh, we're sort of learning to adopt and, and adapt and cope. In some capacity, it it seems like we're you know we're going to be able to get back out there and do stuff. Um, Things are improving greatly here. It's been a grind. We were you know we've Southern Ontario was longest lockdown of in all of North America. Uh, Everything shut in November and opened like three weeks ago, four weeks ago. I've had. I haven't been able to do anything except just be in this room. So if you're wondering why there's synthesizers and pedals everywhere, that's because <laughs> other than stepping into a coffee shop for five minutes, that's been my life. So uh, happy to just be emerging from that and uh, getting ready to get back to what we love. We just announced uh, an amazing festival appearance uh, at Radar Festival in the UK for next summer. It was supposed to happen yesterday. Like oh, wow. yesterday, actually, was supposed to happen yesterday, but now it's being rescheduled to 2022. We're playing with Dirty Loops and Haken and my buddy Pliny and a ton of other prog artists and stuff. And that's just one of many festivals that we'll, we'll be doing. We're going to roll out a whole Europe-UK situation surrounding that as well. We got our eye on the prize on other stuff. And uh, that's pretty much it, man. Just, you know, if you guys aren't, just follow me on, on anywhere social. And uh, really, I've been saying this has been my mantra, but IRL over url all day so right. just come to a show even if you don't do the internet part look up a date real quick put in your phone cop a ticket come hang out let's we need to do this like not here we need to do it out there where it matters that's right it's been too long so i'll see you yeah. at a show how's that we're all
1: getting antsy <laughs> we're getting getting antsy yeah, over it's... here all right here we go out of this room, man, before yeah. we wrap up the main okay. part of the podcast here so first one let's do pretty it pretty easy what is your favorite boss pedal
0: Ooh, um, it's, it's, I want to go with the sentimental, like my first one, but it's Mm -hmm. not my favorite favorite boss pedal. It's right here. What
1: do we got? Dimension C. Dimension C. Ooh, yeah, it's a good choice.
0: That's a good pull. It's it's a a curve ball. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good one. And. Sitting right next to this, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's a good one. Angry Driver, Angry Driver, that's a good pedal. Yes, yes, that one. I'm just I don't pulling think it's these things out of yet. anywhere, dude.
1: Yeah,
0: I know. I mean, hey, Angry Driver slaps. I don't know if it's my favorite. It's a, it's amazing. This is an amazing combination of circuits. This is a phenomenal design. I love this pedal. Mm-hmm. But if, if we're talking about just like this, you know, something that just you turn it on makes you happy, Dimension shoo. C, yeah, Dimension C, that's so sick. Pull. That's a good pull.
1: Okay, a slightly more difficult question. Actually, it's a lot more difficult and a lot more controversial. Okay. What is your favorite kind of pizza?
0: Oh, snap. Yeah. Um...
1: Doing these on video, I don't usually get I'm to gonna, see people's gonna, faces. So, you know, I can see the it, like, gonna, crept over gonna, your uh, eyes. Like, oh no, not this. Gonna <laughs> rustle
0: some Jimmies on this one. I'm certainly gonna rustle some Jimmies. All right. I, there is pineapple involved. Oh that's it. There's there's he's leaving. <laughs> pineapple involved, but 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 hot peppers though. That's that's the okay. thing that like makes that like justifies that for me. Mix so like, birth. yeah, I don't know, pepperoni bacon pineapple jalapeno or like or like italian peppers or something like that Mm -hmm. i'm down i never i never used to be into the pineapple thing but i came around and 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 for some reason i can't get enough of it um it's usually like i don't know if it's favorite but it's like it's such a go-to you know um and if it if it isn't that then it's just like the first time i ever went to italy and i just had like a really simple basic pizza with prosciutto on it just like Mm. a really straight ahead Mm -hmm. just you know what I mean like with some arugula and just like really straight ahead like basic pizza yeah like you can't beat that with the oil and the chilies like that's that's that probably is the one to be honest but if you're out and like you go to a place that has a bunch of pizzas on the menu like usually when I see the pineapple with the like the hot sweet thing I usually do go for it I I have to admit I like it so all
1: right all right yeah I think we're about uh, 50 50. like I think a lot of people think that it's like, oh, everyone hates the pineapple. Uh, But I really think it's a lot more, it's a lot closer to 50-50 how people feel about that than it is, it's it's pretty close. My
0: first time in Italy, um, I have some family that live there. I'm not Italian. They just, my uncle works for the United Nations. And uh, we, like right at the end of high school, my dad and I went over there to visit. They had moved there a few years prior, but we were there for two weeks and like on the weekend in the middle, we did like a Went to like a a villa kind of thing in like an olive grove and like stayed there for the weekend and it was like you know it's like a kind of like a a bed and breakfast type situation where like the family that owns and operates like cooks and for you and you eat with them and everything. It's mm-hmm. an amazing experience. That sounds awesome. And uh, I told the one of the um, uh, the I, I believe she was the lady of the house actually. I, it was her and her husband that that own and operate the place. I explained to her that – because she was asking about what pizza is like in Canada or in North America or whatever. And I told her that, you know, Italian pizza is so much better. This is amazing. Like, now I understand what, like, a traditional Italian pizza is like. This is so good. And I mentioned Hawaiian pizza or, like, pizza that has pineapple on it. And she almost had an aneurysm. So, (laughs) she, like – could not understand why because they're very particular about courses and what food groups are at different courses. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have this meat with this sauce, you don't have fish with this, the fruit isn't has nothing to do with pizza other, at all. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, yeah. So
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty funny. That's that's good stuff. I hope to get to Italy one day and have that exact same experience. I've not been over there. Oh, yet, you should. But, oh, I want to do so. Bad. As soon as you can, you need to go. Mm -hmm. so good we love playing there too it's always so good
0: good food great shows
1: awesome what more do you need good food and great shows you don't need any more than that that's what life is
0: right that's what tour that's what tour is tour is just like is the show sick nice and then somewhere between that and is the food sick is can i get a shower and then like other than that it's like it's pretty good (laughs) nice nice so (laughs)
1: Well, dude, we've been at this for a while now. Um, Hopefully, we still got a little time for Patreon, but I think we better sign off for the main episode. Let's do it. All right. For Aaron, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right. There you have it. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed that episode, everybody. I super did. And you know what? We go at it even more. Well, that sounds like we're gonna fight. We didn't go at it. But we really went into it over on Patreon and, as mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, the Apple Premium subscription. So there will be bonus content on both of those feeds. If either of those work for you, that is where you will get access to that and all of the bonus content that has been produced. There is so much stuff. So if you really like this show, if you need more of it in your life and you want to help support, you can go to Patreon or the new Apple subscription, and check those out. And if you can't, I totally, totally, totally understand it. It's weird out there for everybody. And the best thing you can do, the best thing you can do for yourself, for me, and for your friend, is tell a friend about the show. If this is something you really like, just you sometimes really got to bring it up a bunch. You know, you don't got to be annoying about it, but, you know, I have a friend who's very insistent that I watch Ted Lasso, and he tells me about it all the time. And I think Jason Sudeikis is, you know, great, and he's probably doing just fine. But I need you to be as enthusiastic as my friend is about Ted Lasso, about this show, because I will be watching it very, very soon. So anyway, that was probably a really stupid example. But yes, please tell somebody about the show if you like the show and you like them and all that jazz. So, thank you all so much. I hope you're having a good summer, and uh, I've got more for you. So, stay tuned. Check out Tone Mob stuff everywhere that there's Tone Mobbery available, and it's pretty much everywhere on the internet. Facebook group. I said that really dumb. Facebook group, there we go. YouTube, Instagram, all that good stuff, and please give my music a stream if you could. American Cyclops, it's up. Pretty much everywhere you stream music, just, uh, yeah, I appreciate all the support. All right, talk to you real soon. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings, made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market